right, take your Bibles. Let's, uh, let's go to Romans chapter 8, and we'll keep, keep it handy, too, because we're going to be jumping to a couple of other passages here uh, as we go through uh, this tonight. And again, I, I'm, I'm looking to get uh, just uh, four, uh, four verses as, uh, as a whole, and um, four verses will uh, we'll get us through letters B and C. Uh, all we got was A last time, all right? But, um, so we'll try to get through uh, B and C underneath uh, this, this section of Romans chapter 8. And uh, we, we said the, third, the first section of Romans 8, if you're breaking it down in, in areas of verses 1 through 11, deals with a, a life in the Spirit, being the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, um, uh, verses 12 through 17 uh, is an understanding, and it goes into the idea of debtors being made heirs. And, uh, and then uh, the third section here we're looking at, which is, is still not the last of it. There's a fourth section we'll do later. But um, the third section here goes from verse number 18 down to verse number 30 and uh, deals as a topic-type scenario. It kind of deals with the anticipation of promised Glory, and so we dealt last uh, Wednesday with uh, with letter A, the first uh, uh, first uh, let's see eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one, first four verses uh, there for um, this this area is dealing with the comparison of uh, present situation and future glorification, and so uh, from verse uh, eighteen down to verse twenty one, we've already dealt with that. But I'll just remind you in verse number twenty one. Uh, we, we saw where it said, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Oh, I should say verse number 20. Verse number 20 said, for the creature was made subject to vanity. That's us, the creature, the, cre- the created ones that God uh, put together. Um, not willingly, we weren't given this being subject to vanity because it's something we asked for, we, we said we wanted, or we would have voted to accept uh, we didn't we didn't do it willingly, but it was placed upon us uh, by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Um, God himself is the one that declared the judgment because of rebellion, the judgment because of sin. We live now a life um, um, covered by and a life um, uh, infused with the uh, the awful uh, evidence and awful reaction because of sin. In this world, and so we have the consequences of sin that we always face. The vanities of man um, are are a result of uh, man himself rejecting God's initial plan. Of course, we know it going back to Adam and Eve, but we can't blame just them. Um, We are all born with the sin nature, but yet each one of us has free will, and we use that free will to sin. And so the sin. Um, guilt is upon all of us, and uh, matter of fact, uh, <laughs> I just put it this way: the, uh, the evidence that man is born in sin uh, is shown in a baby itself. Say, so how do you know that? Uh, well, the baby might not fully know and understand what it is that they're doing, and yet anybody who's been alive for any length of time, when a baby is is been fed, been changed. Everything's fine. Nothing's pinching the baby. They're, they're fine. They're healthy. They're clean. Everything's good. And yet they still scream when you set them down. You know? Ah! Ah! 
<laughs> I just, you know, it's like they can almost sense you're about to set them down. They start screaming. They're like, they're, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. No, you're not, you little liar. You're not dying. You just want attention, right? Okay, so you can see the evidence of the selfishness of man even sometimes in a baby. The desire of man to have the attention, the desire of man to want what we want, the desire of man to do whatever it takes to get what I want. You even see it in the young ones. Now, again, they don't fully understand what they're doing until there's an age where they comprehend, and then they do it by choice knowing it's wrong. At that point, again, I'm not going to go into depth on that. At that point, uh, there is no innocence to sin. They may not know exactly what to call it, but they know what they're doing. And, um, and so we, we have to understand that man is guilty. Man, man is, is underneath this curse, and that curse was given by God himself but it was given uh, a, as a judgment upon man's decision to go against his command, but yet he still did the same. He gave the same. He, he put the judgment in there, but he, he put it in with hope. Okay, and we dealt with that last week. And, uh, and so verse number 22 is where we're going to start tonight. Uh, and verse number 22 and 23 um, constitute what I would put into a category of section B underneath this. And that is the evidence of the curse of sin. All right, the evidence of the curse of sin. Verse number 22 and 23 say, uh, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, uh, even we all ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. And so, this is the, the two verses making very clear the evidence that we can see that the curse of sin is having an effect in this life all the way till now. It hasn't stopped since Adam and Eve. It, it's been on and on and on. When God said that man would, would work the ground by the sweat of the brow, that there would be pain, that there would be suffering, he wasn't joking. And he, and he wasn't saying, I might do it. What he's saying is, this is the curse because of your choice. It will happen. And it will continue to happen until much later down the line when God will eventually wipe away all things. He'll start with a new heaven, a new earth. Uh, but that, that, uh, a lot of things are going to happen before that time. But in this life, as we live, we look around and we see uh, and we can tell that, hey, he, he, Paul says, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Now, that's dealing with the creature, but it's also dealing with all creation. Look at everything in creation. By the way, when the, when the earth begins to quake, it is, the, it is creation groaning because Something about this created earth is breaking apart. It's falling apart. It's decaying due to sin. You do realize prior to the curse of sin uh, in, in, in life as a whole, there wouldn't have been earthquakes and the earth breaking apart and falling apart because all decay has come as a result of sin. Uh, and so you, you see the, the earth quakes, you see the storms that destroy things, you see all this stuff going on. And by the way, the closer we get to the Lord's return, we're told we're going to see more and more and more of it. What is that? It's not just the creature 
that moans and groans and wails because of the sin and the curse of sin in our life. It's creation itself shows us on a regular basis what sin has done to everything God created. Life itself is cursed and everything in life, by the way, uh, uh, roses would have not had thorns and the ability for pain to be produced if you grab the wrong part of the stem because pain didn't exist prior to sin. So there are things in, in creation itself that remind us that's because of the curse. That's because of the curse. You say, well, how do we know we moan and groan? Wake up in the morning, uh, and if you got kids, there's a couple of ways you can do it. Wake up in the morning, you got kids, you go walk, and all of a sudden somebody left Legos on the floor, and you didn't see them. Step on that Lego, and you tell me that you don't moan and groan and scream and wail because of the pain produced. You know where the pain came from? Sin. You could also, well, I don't have any kids. Okay, then wake up, and you're going you're gonna to get out of the bed, and you're going to go around to the bathroom. Before you get there, you stub your toe on the end of the bed. You know what that's for? Reminds you. Curse of sin. I mean, there, there, there's issue after issue after issue. Listen, we, we understand pain. We understand the suffering. It is the evidence of the curse of sin. Every hurt, every issue, every problem, every sickness, everything we face, uh, everything that we see and experience in a negative sense is, it is as a result of sin. It says, uh, verse 22, ultimately is saying that all creation suffers in this life because of sin. But then the second thing in that is, in the evidence of the curse, dealing with us personally, that even the child of God also suffers. <laughs> if anybody tells you you get saved and it takes care of all suffering and problems, they lie to you. You become a child of God, you'll never have a problem again. <laughs> that is the worst car salesman in this, in this entire world I've ever seen in my life. They are selling you a clunker. And you're going to realize you get home after all that, and all of a sudden you got problems. They're going to say, you lied to me. <laughs> yeah. They just, you know, a lot of them just want to put another number down on their checkbox. Oh, look how many I had saved. You know, there's, there's a, by the way, that, that is a, I was talking to somebody this week about it. Uh, that, that is a telltale sign of a wrong mentality to begin with. Be careful saying, look how many, you know, here's how many I had saved today. You didn't have nobody saved. Because you and I didn't save anyone. Uh, the Lord is the one that does the saving. The best thing we get is to witness it. So the best way to put it is, here's how many I got to witness see and, and, and understand and watch as someone receive Christ as their Savior. I got to witness someone come to Christ. And I might have been the witness to them, but I also got to watch them actually follow through and receive Christ as their Savior. God did the saving. We just did the telling. And, and so it's, it's a mindset thing. We have to understand it. You've got to be in, in a proper mindset uh, when doing those things. But as a child of God, you get saved uh, doesn't mean that all of a sudden uh, everything's going to be great and hunky-dory and, 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 you know, you don't face anything. You just got a smile on your face 24-7 because everything's wonderful. No, the child of God learns to have a smile on their face regardless of the fact that life is cursed and it's sometimes miserable. The child of God learns to have the joy of the Lord in the midst of the trials of life. And you say, preacher, that sounds like it's real easy. It's not. 
You know, go through the worst trial of your life and, and, uh, and then go to the mirror and see if you're smiling about it. It's not easy. But the child of God has the potential and has the ability to have the peace of God and the ability to face the trials of life because as a whole, like our verse is talking about that we have for this week, um, you know, no matter what fire you're going through, one confidence you can have and one thing we kind of need to remind ourselves of constantly is even if I can't see him working, I have to trust that he is there because he promised to always be. Even if I cannot see him interceding and, and intervening on my behalf immediately, just because I don't see something happening doesn't mean God isn't doing a work. Just because I don't see the results happening doesn't mean that God's not in motion on my behalf. Just because I don't see what I'm hoping for doesn't mean that God has left me alone. And so therefore, may I say, uh, God did not stop the three Hebrew children from getting thrown in the fire. He could have, but he didn't. They even said, O king, our God is able to deliver us from, but if not, they said he can stop everything right here. Basically, he, king, he can make you die of a heart attack and you can't even give the command. But he didn't. And so they went through the fire. But it wasn't until they were in the fire that they actually had a chance to see the presence of God with them. Was he there before the fire? Yes, he was. But he was revealed through the fire and while in the fire. Same thing is true when it comes to those that were in the disciples on the sea. Uh, he was there, but he wasn't very visible until they woke him up and said, wake up. And then all of a sudden he showed who he was and they marveled and feared and said, who is this? Um, and that's a side note to all of it, but understand um, Paul is pointing out here that even the child of God, verse number 23, and not only they, not just the world, not just those around and not just creation itself, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the fruits of the Spirit. Now, here's what I want to take you real quick. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. He talks about having the fruits of the Spirit. And, uh, and I, I want to just look very quickly. Galatians chapter 5, it won't take a second. So if we're getting over there, and uh, look at verse number 19. Galatians, well, verse number 18, starting in verse number 18. Galatians 5, uh, verse number 18. Uh, the same individual used by God to pen Galatians as it was to pen Romans. So we're dealing with Paul here. And, uh, and so Paul in um, Galatians, in, in what is laid out as chapter 5, verse number 18, starting there. We'll read down to verse number, um, verse number 23. But verse number 18 says, uh, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Verse number 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. So here's the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulant, uh, emulations, wrath, strife. Uh, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's not saying that you've committed these sins, you can't be forgiven. No, he's, he's talking about those who willfully live and desire and, 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 and surround their life in these things. Why, why is he saying they cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven? Because if you're, if you're focused on these things, if your life is completely absorbed in these things, there's no room for God. 
these things that are just listed are the evidence, and I've been talking to several people about this right now, is the evidence of what we see mostly in our, in our world today. It's humanism. Humanism ultimately is the fulfilling of whatever my flesh wants. It's the religion of giving me what I want because I'm God. I am my own God. I will, I will reward myself with everything that I want because I determine what's good. I determine what's okay. I determine what is best for me because I am the, the, the one responsible for my life. I am the one responsible to bless me. I am the one responsible to lead me and guide me. No one can make a decision about what I need better than me. Um, I, I wasn't going to do this, but I am going to do it right now. Um, I'll, you'll just you'll bear with me real quick because I saved this thing and I know it's still in here somewhere. I just got to find it. Hold on a second. I'm going to find it. It's here. Um, oh, here it is. Good old Facebook post. I saw somebody, nobody here, okay? I don't know how in the world it popped up, but it popped up and it was there and I, I, I just... I saw it, and so when I see little quotes and stuff, I read them because I might want to take a screenshot of it because I might want to use it. This is not a good one, but I'm going to use it. Here's what somebody said. Accept people as they are. Place them where they belong. You are the CEO of your life. Hire, fire, and promote accordingly with no apologies. Now, that's the mentality of today. And Christians, unfortunately, will see that, and they'll like it, they'll thumb it, and they'll even say, that's right, that's right, boy, that's the best thing I've ever heard in my life. That is humanism. Say, how do you know? You are the CEO of your life. That told me all I need to know right there. You're in control. You call the shots. You're the one that makes it for you. You're the one determines for you. No one better, no one knows better for you than you. Can anybody see the problem with that? Might as well go ahead and go buy those old bumper stickers and put it on your car. I'm the pilot, thank God's my co-pilot. Oh, they, they, that was popular for a while there. My dad preached, preached against that stuff so much, I got tired of hearing it. But it was so popular, people putting that all over. It became a real big thing. All over their bumper. I, I, God is my, and then eventually just turned into God is my co-pilot. You know, all it said is I'm the pilot. I am the CEO of my life. I will hire, fire, and promote accordingly, and I won't apologize for it. How about this? Why don't you ask God, who do I hire, fire, and promote? How about asking God, Lord, who do I let into my life? Lord, who do I friend in my life? Lord, who do I follow in my life? Lord, Lord who do I associate with my life? Lord, what do I do? And, and by the way, when God tells me what I should do, I should do accordingly because he is the CEO. I am just his servant. Now, that's my rant for the night. All right. But in Galatians 5.22 that is a list, in Galatians 5 right there, that list is a list of humanism. And when you have you as God, you cannot let God be God. Therefore, if I believe in these things and I'm following these things and I'm living by these things as a whole, if I'm living according to the flesh, I will never surrender and humble myself to receive God as my master and my savior. So what he's saying is you can't inherit the kingdom of God 
with these things. We're talking about somebody who is sold out to the flesh. Now, he goes on and says, now here's the the revealing in verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, there's fruit that bears from those that are in the Spirit. Those who are a child of God. Those that have the Spirit of God dwelling with them and in them on a daily basis. As the comforter that was promised by Christ himself that when he was gone, God would send a comforter for them and he would be with you, he will dwell with you, and he will teach you in all things. It is the Spirit of God with those who have received Christ as their Savior. We now have the Spirit within us, revived within us, and he says there is fruit from the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. No matter how much you hate these things and in, in, in seeing these things in people, no matter how much it irritates you to see people with these things, no matter how much you can't handle it and it disgusts you to see somebody living like that. By the way, the world cannot handle a child of God living with the fruit of the Spirit because it just rubs them the wrong way. They push every single button possible to see, I just want to see that person lose it one time. Just, just, just show me you're really human. Right? And as soon as you do show that you're human, all of a sudden, see what you have is not what I need. That's the world. Why? Because they can't stand it. They hate it. They want us to fall apart. They don't want the fruit of the Spirit to be revealed. But what is Paul saying? I'll just give you this. You you, you just write it down. But go to Ephesians 5 and verse number 9 as well. It also talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But uh, but go with me back to Romans chapter 8, if you held your place there. Back over in Romans chapter 8. There in verse number 23, uh, it was mentioned there uh, as he was talking about not just the world and not just creation, not just the lost uh, groaning and travailing because of the pain all the way until this point and it'll continue on until the Lord returns and deals with everything and, 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 and cleans it all up. But in verse number 23, he's saying not only they, but even us, even ourselves. What ourselves are we talking about? Those which was described in Galatians 5 uh, as being those with the fruit of the Spirit, and so which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, the saved, God's people, his children, every single one of us, we also groan within ourselves. Anybody here ever going through life and going through issues have ever just said, Lord, it'd be so nice if you'd just come back. Groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit. Or what he's saying is, uh, the better understanding, the adoption, what adoption? What, what time frame are we talking about? Well, here it is, the understanding of the time of the redemption of our bodies. He's talking about the rapture, the resurrection. He's saying, man. Every single one of us, as we deal with this life, as we deal with ailments, we deal with sickness, we deal with loss, we deal with hurt, we deal with frustration, we deal with the pain of things because of the curse of sin. We're reminded on a daily basis, though I'm saved and I get to look, to, look forward to a much better future than what this life is dishing out, this life still dishes out some things and I'm about tired of it, Lord. I'd just go ahead. If you came back, you know, before tonight was over, I'd be okay. Wouldn't hurt my feelings. Now the world moans and groans and travails in pain and they have no hope to look forward to. But to those who have received Christ as their Savior, their hope is in 
Christ. And the biggest hope is in he's coming one day as he promised he would. As you've seen me go, I shall return. And he's going to come back and he's going to claim his own. This life is nothing but temporary. It is painful. It is frustrating. It is difficult. It is disheartening. It has all these different aspects that we wish it didn't have, and there's nothing we can really do to change it. It is the curse of sin on this life. So what makes it better? What makes it, what gives us a hope and the help as we face and we groan through some of the things in life? What helps, what helps us have the joy of the Lord in the midst of, of what could be a groaning situation. I get to look forward to one day. Listen, as, as a whole, it, this might be the best that it gets for them, but I know this much, this is the worst that it's going to get for me. I, it doesn't, I mean, this is the worst I'm going to experience. I have much better things on the way. Much better experience, by the way, much better eternity on the way than this temporary now and now. And so he's talking, he's laying these things out that there, there is the evidence of the curse of sin seen by every single part of creation, by the lost especially, but then even the child of God experiences it. But we look for the rapture. We have that blessed hope. And I'm just going to have to stop on two verses. Because I, 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 I can't go into verse number 20, 24 and 25. I can't do it. I just can't do it. We'll be here all night, all right? So we just, we just ripped off another piece of, uh, of meat off the bone and chewed on it for a while. Um, but understand, listen, if you're going through struggles, you're going through hardships, and it's not to belittle what you're going through, but just keep in mind for the child of God, if we will remember, it is the evidence that this life is cursed. And it's cursed not because God hates me. It's cursed because God had no choice but to put judgment on the act of sin. And once sin came into this life for every human being, not only did man get cursed, not only was Satan or the serpent cursed, but the entire creation of God was cursed because of it. Nothing in this life has ever gone untouched by the curse of sin. Save one. May I say, but let me put it this way. He went untouched in the sense of he himself was not stained by sin. But I remind you, Christ hungered. He thirsted. He felt pain. He understood brokenheartedness. Even in the flesh, though he was not guilty and he was free from the stain of sin, he was God sinless in the flesh. The flesh he was robed in still had to experience the curse. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. In other words, he felt every pain. If he stubbed his toe, he knew what it felt like. As he worked, I believe, in a carpenter's house, as he learned how to be a carpenter, I mean, who better, who better to be preparing me a home in heaven than, than a carpenter? All right, that's a whole other message. But I imagine there were plenty of times he got a pretty decent splinter. 
They didn't have power tools back then, so, you know, (laughs) I bet he shed a little bit of blood every now and then. But it wasn't time for the shedding of blood for the cross. But I, I imagine there were, there, was, there were some times where he felt pain. He felt the, the issues. He felt the curse of sin in that fleshly body, but he was not stained by it. Therefore, he was able to feel the ultimate punishment in the flesh by dying on a cross. He felt every pain of the nail going through his wrist and through his feet. He felt the pain of a crown of thorns placed on his head and re-beating it into his skull. He felt the pain when they grabbed his beard and plucked it from him. He felt the pain when they blindfolded him and testify. Who slapped you? He was not relieved from feeling the curse. But he was unstained by sin. And we understand that our hope in this life, we serve and we have an advocate and we have a God and a a righteous judge and we have one who understands the infirmity. He comprehends it. But yet he was without sin so that he could give us a much better future. And the hope that God gave in the midst of the judgment and curse, the hope was fulfilled in his son who now is our hope, our living hope, by the way, seated at the right hand of the Father. And we, though we face the issues of life and though we face the the pains of life and though we face the stresses of life, we as God's people, whom the first fruits of the Spirit should show through our life, we of that way have hope in the midst of the pain because we look. And our groaning is not, this is not fair. Our groaning is, Lord, it'd be so nice to have you come back now. Because I'm looking for it. I can't wait. Matter of fact, the worse this life gets, the more easily I am encouraged to look for his return. Because it'd be so nice, Lord. It'd be so nice. Are you eager for his return? Are you looking? Are you longing? Because our hope is to come in the clouds one day and we'll be caught up with him not to face the curse of this life anymore. Oh, what a day that will be. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much.